0: Good morning. Our scripture reading today is from Paul's letter to the Colossians, uh, chapter 3, 1 to 17. If you'd like to turn there, you can, or I'll just read it for you. Colossians 3, 1 to 17. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. The word of the Lord. Thank
1: you, Ryan. Good morning again. It is good to be with you. Always good to be with you. And what a beautiful day it is, isn't it? Uh, just to one. I think I was born to live in sunshine, and. Um, I feel like I want to work harder when it's sunny. Uh, I want to sing. Maybe not all gifts of sunshine is is good for others, but certainly for me, um, I I feel optimistic and excited. Um, There is often a distance between, a gap between what we believe and what we do such a gap uh, is a gap that God seeks to want to close in and through his church, not only in our lives, but through our lives in the world. And sometimes when you read the Bible and you read it idealistically, you may see that in many ways it proposes that as Christians we are capable of so much more, but when we examine our lives carefully, we see that there is a gap between. Um, uh, I think it's Richard Lovelace who, co- who, who, who coined this term. He called it a sanctification gap. <laughs> you, see, you know, this idea that there is a distance between who we are called to be and who we are in any given moment. And that this kind of gap is something that I believe uh, when we acknowledge it, when we see it, uh, when we recognize it, it is a gift of God to realize That to be Christian is to hear very carefully that God is wanting us to come honestly before him, to be able to see our lives as he sees it, and to recognize that there's opportunities for formation and growth. There's opportunities for us to close the gap between what he has invited us to become in many ways, and who we are. But Christianity doesn't begin there. It doesn't begin by saying to you, Jonathan, that you're, you know, you got to work at it. In fact, uh, the letter to the Colossians begins uh, with the affirmation that through Christ God has made us more than we can be in and of ourselves. The starting point for Christian faith is not that I'm going to work towards salvation, but in fact salvation is given to me as a gift. And when it is given to me as a gift, I recognize that maybe only God can give me what I need to be who he wants me to be. And that the rest of my Christian life is really a response to his gift. And yet, as I share that with you this morning, as I consider the text before us, I think about the situation that the Colossian church found themselves in. Primarily a Gentile community located in a Jewish city. We don't quite know what was going on behind the scenes, but when we study the letter carefully we learn that Paul was trying to speak to a group of Christians that somehow were not quite getting along. Some suggest that there were those who were trying to influence Christians to kind of become more Jewish in their Christianity. In other words, even though as Gentiles they now too were included as those who follow Jesus Christ, the Jewish Christians amongst them said you know there's a, a level to this thing. You're in, but if you really want to be in you'll also be circumcised. You're a part of us, but mm, not quite yet there. So you need to become a member. And so the Apostle Paul responds to a church that has been influenced and in some ways a church that is starting to experience a little bit of division amongst itself. Now when I speak on this I often say to people I say you know people are surprised sometimes when the church struggles within itself. Because I think there's this lens we put on that says you know because we're Christians somehow everything just works out and we're just great. I love you, you love me. We're one big happy family. Yeah. When you study the New Testament, out of the 17 New Testament churches referenced, all of them had a problem of one form or another. All of them struggled with what it means to live this faith out. And though Christ has said, here's who you are, it seems that the church has struggled with what it means to live together in unity. What it means to be the body of Christ. And so the apostle Paul responds, and I'm not going to try to speak too long because I want us to participate together in the sacrament that reminds us we are one. That When Paul responds to this division, he, he doesn't say, here's what I want you to do first. He begins by reminding them of who they are in Christ, because here's how Paul looks at things. He says, if you remember what Christ has done for you, you won't act in a particular way. If you remember who you are in him, you realize that you can live in a different way. In other words, the Apostle Paul says this, when you become Christian, the kinds of division that you experience in life and in the world can now be overcome. The way the prevailing culture is does not have to be the way in which your life is. And still, there is the reality that the church reflects the prevailing culture. Even today, When we talk about prejudice and racial segregation, when we talk about uh, belittling or labeling, when we talk about excluding people, there seems to be a similarity in some faith communities between the prevailing culture and what is happening within it. And the Apostle Paul speaks very strongly and says, if you remember what Christ has done and who you are, such kinds of issues ought not to define you. You ought not to force people to become like you in order for them to be longing to God. You don't have to ask people to change their cultural affiliation in order for them to know Jesus. Who I'm not getting any amens yet. You don't have to make people sing the same songs you sing in order for them to be a part of this family. Because when Christ unites people's secondary identities... Culture and language and race and nationalities do not come before who they are in Christ because whatever you put before being his will define the kind of Christian you become. So if I am a South African Christian, I'll have a little bit of an edge to me. If I'm a American Christian, I will read my world through a particular lens. If I'm a Canadian Christian, there's something that I'm saying about what I believe Christianity to be. But if, Paul says, we are truly Christian first, then the secondary things in life do not define what it means to be a part of God's body. And more importantly, we are able to see the gift of diversity as we share in a common faith and trust in Christ. The problem, I think, that Paul identifies and that we struggle with today is that it is very hard to look beyond difference. It is very hard to not exclude. It is very hard to not judge people on the kinds of things that according to the gospel itself, Jesus does not judge us on. And if I'm to preach honestly on the text, I would suggest to you that when the Apostle Paul says here, where those who confess Jesus Christ and come together in one faith are gathered, there is no Jew, Gentile, slave or free, barbarian or scythian, I would say, Paul, I, are you sure that that can actually happen? Uh, You know, you're telling us that as Christians we're able to look beyond these things that divide in the world and we are able to be one. You are telling us that the things that define us outside of our Christian identity no longer have to be divisive things in our Christian lives today. And yet, the gap remains. I wonder this morning. And I realized, you know, when I decided to preach on this theme that it's going to be a lonely journey for me. Uh, It's a hard thing to preach on. Because most of us don't believe there's gaps to be closed in our own thinking. If I was to be honest with you, most of the times if I was in your position and I sat and I listened to a pastor preach, I would say to myself, you know, I mean, I kind of already know the Christian way. I understand what needs to be done and I am... I think as good as I can be. And yet there seems to be this reality that Paul addresses within the community that says there's something far greater possible amongst you and yet you are not living as you ought to live. In Christ there is no longer Baptists and Nazarenes. No amens. (laughs) There is no longer American and Canadian. There's no longer black and white. I must be honest with you. that I love the high theology of the text, but I look at the reality of our world and I say, Lord, close the gap. I say, God, tear down the walls. Help us to not only profess this on a Sunday, but to live this day to day. Help us to be a people that do not judge people based upon what we think they ought to be, but see in them the very hope that you see in all creation. And so even though we know we are Christian and we're called to love all, and in Christ we are made one, I think Paul is also a realist, and he says, now that I have reminded you of you who you are, here's how I want you to live he says, clothe yourself. I want you to hear the words with compassion, with kindness, with humility, with gentleness, and with patience. I want you to hear this. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. You know, it's not like Paul is saying this. Oh, you're Christian, and somehow automatically you're not going to have the need to forgive anyone. Or you're Christian, and automatically it's going to be easy to get along. Or you're Christian, and all of a sudden just because you're Christian, everybody else is going to like you, and you're going to like them. No, Paul says you are Christian first. And make something possible that is impossible in the prevailing culture, but is possible amongst God's people. But it requires a response that requires compassion, love. And forgiveness. You see, I think that the church is called to demonstrate what is possible through Christ. And if here we cannot live that way, if amongst ourselves we cannot be that way, if you sit here and you're saying to, my, to me, Stu, do you really think that's a reality? I remember once preaching at a church, a little church out in the country, and I was preaching so strongly on love and God's call to love everyone, and a big, burly man that scared me when he walked up to me afterwards said, Do you really think it's possible to love everybody? <laughs> I said, um, if you were to ask me, I'm, I'm not sure I can say that conclusively, but Jesus seems to think so. He seems to think that it is possible for people from different walks of life to see in the other the very love that he has for them. He is the one who believes that when the church does the simple yet profoundly powerful things like compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience, they can learn to live together irrespective of differences because they have a common savior. In 1829, I was just a wee lad, just kidding, (laughs) Uh, when the leaders of the Christian church in the former Cape Colony were being very successful in winning thousands of indigenous African people to faith. They celebrated and recognized the opportunity they had to invite and include so many indigenous people into the church. In particular, they considered how they would serve communion to these new believers. The church believed that because they have confessed the Lord as Jesus Christ, that they were brothers and sisters now. That the wall between colonialist and indigenous, according to their theological understanding, was to be torn down. There was a few, according to what I've read, that resisted the idea. Uh, They suggested that um, uh, we don't want the indigenous people to be a part of our worship. We, in fact, do not want them to receive communion with us because we still believe, even though, yes, Jesus makes us all one, somehow it doesn't apply here. And so I, as I was studying this and read this, I, I read how that the church, even though despite its theological convictions that Christ has made everyone one, made a decision that the indigenous people would worship in a separate building and have their own table excluded from the rest. To this day, historians believe that this was the seedbed of apartheid. The very table that is before us this morning that invites everyone irrespective of race, irrespective of socioeconomic status, irrespective of where they've come from, who bows their knee to the Lord Jesus Christ and recognizes there that through Christ he has made us his own children, became the very table that created division. You know, if we to reflect historically upon the opportunities the church has missed to show the world what is possible with Jesus... I think one of the places we have failed miserably is when we continue to gather apart from one another and not make room for one another under the lordship of Jesus Christ. I want to preach very firmly to you today. This is not because I'm South African and a little bit more tan than you. This is because I cannot read the Gospels and not hear the call of Christ for unity amidst diversity, for a common faith that brings people from all walks of life into the same place, under the same confession, praising the same God, so that the world would know God enables what the world cannot do. Someone this morning said to me in our prayer time, it was Gary Henderson, I'll just out him. He said, you know, we as immigrants, and he pointed to me and him and, and, and to Luis, because we are immigrants. He's from the U.S., and he's from South Africa, and, and Luis is from Mexico. He says, you know, we kind of live in this in-between space, you know, Stu. Like, you know, when I go back to California, sorry, Gary, I'll take you for coffee. Um, when I go back to, 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 to California... I, uh, I I feel like I'm home. <laughs> you know, the sun and the culture and the people, I resonate. And, and he said, you know, sometimes we live in this kind of, this in-between place. And, I, and I, I, I resonate, I understand that. But then I said to Gary, I said, you know what Paul is doing in the text he's saying is that when we become children of God through Christ, our home becomes wherever God's people gathers. And I have some pretty cool and different looking brothers and sisters because of it. You ask me, how can you be racist and be Christian? Well, it's quite possible if your race matters more than your Christianity. You want to ask me how you can be prejudicial and be Christian? Well, if in your opinion you are better than others (laughs) and you have not plummeted the depth of God's grace you can be Uh, you want to ask me how things can be done in the name of Christ that seems to be completely opposite to the gospel calling of Jesus Christ it is because when people put everything else before what it essentially means to be Christian that defines their Christianity some people define themselves by their status and their position and so people who don't share in a similar status or position cannot be as good as they, or are judged through that lens. Others define themselves through their sexuality, and so to be in a particular sexual orientation means that other people are on the other side are out. Some people define themselves in terms of their race and their ethnicity and their heritage. Some people define themselves in terms of their accolades and their accomplishments. But here... Where we gather under the Lordship of the Lord Savior Jesus Christ. There is no businessman. There is no nurse. There is no student. There is no successful. There is no poor. But Christ is all and is in all. And this morning, we have an opportunity at the table that invites us to recognize that we are His. (sighs) To let who we are in Christ be our primary means of life. You know, one of the things that I've realized is that exclusion or prejudice... Wherever it is in our world and our life, it does not only affect those who are marginalized or in, not in positions of power, but it also affects those who marginalize. Prejudice creates barriers, but it essentially dehumanizes us all. And I don't know what your circumstance is. I don't know where you come from. I don't know if there's anything in you that the Holy Spirit is putting its hand on. You know, uh, you know pastors have choices. We can look at our congregation and say, oh, we see this issue, so we'll preach to that. I, I really don't see this issue, <laughs> at least not visibly. I, I don't, I don't, th- th- I'm not preaching on this because I have discerned that this is an issue within our community, but I have also realized that sometimes the prejudice and the worldviews and the perspectives that we carry are so deep within us that it doesn't necessarily surface in places like this, but the Holy Spirit can kind of put his hand on some stuff and say, Ah, in which ways do you need freedom? In which ways do you need liberation? In which ways do you need to recognize that God wants to bring in you and in through your life A witness to his love for all. So here's what I want to do. Next week is the last I'm talking on this issue, and then we all can be happy. Hopefully, changed, but happy. I don't think churches should operate in the way which we tend to think it should operate where we come and we leave. I really believe more and more that the success of our church is not in how many people we have coming here and how many seats we fill. I like a full room. I like being the center of attention. (coughs) I'm just kidding. But I think a church is successful when it becomes not only united in its faith, but it is reflected in the relationships it has with one another. I think our relationships can reveal a great witness to our culture. Do you know that the people from across our world are coming to Calgary? You know, 80 years ago, we were sending missionaries by the droves to other countries. Do you know that the countries are now coming here? And we have this unique opportunity in this city to demonstrate what it means to be the family of God. It's not easy, but it's possible. It's not easy, but it's biblical. It's not easy, but it's what God has called us to. You see, because it's so much easier just to love people who love me, and it's so much easier to do things that just make me comfortable, but oh, the hope of Christ is not only for Stu Williams, and it's not only for Skyview. So what do we do? In this community, do you know people beyond the people you usually hang out with? When we gather after service in our little holy pods, I'm being sarcastic. Or we're always thinking about the ways in which the little actions of friendship, the little things. You know, I was saying to Brenda yesterday, we were all at the community garden together. We were planting together, and I was terrible, but, you know, so what's new? Um, but we were talking, and I said, you know, I said, Brenda, sometimes it's the little things that can help us to get to know people. You know, sometimes we, we have the sense we have to make life complicated, but sometimes when we create space and time to actually engage and to get to know people, you know, take someone to lunch that you haven't gone to lunch with. Take, make time in your schedule for other people. Uh, you know, when is the last time you've thought about inviting a neighbor over to your home? When is the last time you intentionally try to step out of your comfort zone? I, I, I believe more and more. I'm not just preaching an ideal. I'm preaching what the Bible calls us to become. Those who represent the very grace of God in a world that is growing in its diversity. You may not like it, but it's true. And God sees the great potential of the church to show the world what it can be. On that note, I invite all of you over to my house, but call first, because my wife will not be very happy with me, and not today. Do you see my sarcasm? I remember, I remember just to be prepared to go to the table. I remember growing up, you know, as a young man, and, and, uh, uh, the church was not perfect. The church was segregated in South Africa, actually. Um, we worshiped with people like ourselves. And I've shared this story many times when I worked with my first Afrikaner colleague. And to our, to our, to our surprise, both of us realized that we're Christian. What a shock. You mean you love Jesus too? Mm hmm. The right Jesus. <laughs> How sad. sad you know in a culture that has lost and placed its value on so many other things this sacrament yes it's just juice and crackers and you know and we have our children participate at the discretion of parents and uh, you know it's something we kind of may feel we just get through can be such an incredible opportunity to recognize God has made us a part of a much bigger family than we often realize. And if you find yourself like I have holding prejudice in my own heart, maybe this morning you want to pray, God, close the gap. One of the quickest ways to overcome prejudice is to spend time with somebody unlike yourself. (laughs) And you will find that in God's creation, people are people are people are people are people that he loves. I can't give you greater advice than to make room for those who are unlike yourself if we are to be Christian witnesses, and yes, it requires time and sacrifice and the rest of it, but oh boy, the rewards are incredible. So as we come to the table now, and I invite those who I'm asked to stand at the tables to serve today, to take your places, I... I ask that we prepare our hearts and our minds that as we become attentive to God who is with us, the one who through Christ makes us one, we will participate as His family. The Lord Jesus Christ instructed his disciples to participate in a meal of remembrance, which is what we do here today. This meal reminds us of the Lord's sacrifice, of his death, but it also reminds us that through his death he has enabled a new people to be formed, a people of one faith. This morning we respond and receive these elements as one saying that we are Christian, that we belong to God, and we're a part of a great family. I want to say to you this morning, as the church, may you know that your pastor speaks as one who desires the Lord to close the gap in his heart, and that as I receive also this morning, I receive as one who requires grace. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, After supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father, this table is your table, given to your church, that we may eat and remember who we are in Christ that we may eat and remember what has been done for us. And as we do so this morning, we ask that you would help us to become the people you have called and made us to be in Christ for the sake of our world. Make us one so that the world would know that you are Lord. In Jesus' name,
0: amen.